0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com.
1: Now, here's your hosts,
0: Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam, AAA Adams. And today, I have a guest that I've been friends with for years. In fact, three years ago, three Christmases ago, he came to the first ever Blue Spruce Christmas party with one of his partners, somebody that I, I genuinely respect a lot. And, you know, we could go into, because he's in some of the top masterminds on, in the country, and we could really dive into how to get a whole bunch of deals. But I thought, well, actually, he thought maybe we could do something a little bit different. He's been burned before, uh, you know, with a very hot iron with some partnerships. And so, what we're going to talk a little bit about today is, hey, do you want to avoid bad partnerships? Do you want to avoid putting your money in the hands of the wrong people? Do you want to know how to vet potential partners so that you don't lose money Well, you came to the right place? Kyle Donnie is going to help us out. Kyle, let's just go back to the very first real estate deal that you did. What year was it and uh, how did that first deal look?
1: Yep. First deal was 2013. So that's when I got started. I bought two houses that year. Um, my first deal was a house hack. So it was my personal residence. And I pretty much moved all my friends in there for a couple of years straight. And so uh, my, my girlfriend loved that. We constantly had a guy or two living in the house, running out of bedroom. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then from there, I bought a, a rental property up in Greeley, Colorado, and uh, did a, a, a fix and um, fixing and rent on it. So, rehabbed it, kept it, rented it out, and still on that property to today.
0: Okay, perfect. All right, now, um, now I know at least one of the partners that you had, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I, I will tell you this they've had a lot of other people that they've uh, been able to con into putting a lot of money with them. And yeah. so, let's go back and try to you know, just figure out what it was about the person that made you want to put money with them. And how can you protect yourself the next time that you see somebody just like that?
1: Yeah. So the guy definitely got over a lot of people in the Denver market and he's now gone. I don't know where he's at. He should be in jail, but I have no idea if he is or not. Um, But basically the the guy was, uh, he was making himself look bigger than he really, really was. And so he had a lot of deals going on and a lot of partnerships and whatnot, but he wasn't actually doing anything. You know, he was, he was pretty much robbing Peter to pay Paul and getting new deals from wholesalers, paying dumb prices on them, taking, taking the con, you know, taking the money to rehab it and down payments and just kind of not, not getting back to you or not finishing anything. And it, it turned into a downward spot downward spiral for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people lost a lot of money and, we're put in bad situations financially, and was did it appear
0: as though the person was in cahoots with um with a contractor
1: definitely, yep, definitely, yeah,
0: that's what it looked like to me as well. It was like so there was a contractor that knew what was up, and this person knew what was up, and they kind of worked it together um yep. but let's let's figure this out. Um, how do how do we solve the problem of putting our money? Because I know I, I know a few people that collectively have probably lost a few hundred thousand collectively with just that one person. Um, so how do we solve the problem? You've you've learned your lesson. You're licking your wounds. Um, what have you learned along the way that can be valuable to the listener?
1: Well, number number one, what I what I've seen a lot of people do that what I did wrong as well was was be a motivated real estate investor um and kind of jump in bed with the first person they they see and not vet them out. And so I was in that same position where I really, really wanted to be full time and be doing a ton of deals and, and crushing it. And I saw this guy that was doing a ton of deals but but not really. Um and I was attracted to him because I thought, hey, this guy is this guy has it together. Um I'm gonna join up with him and it'll make my learning curve shortened and easier. And you know, little did I know about a lot of different things that I should have done to vet this guy out before jumping in bed with him. Um, I was just motivated and then just went for it. And I think a lot of people that I talked to that were in with this guy, they did the same thing. They were just motivated. They wanted to get into real estate. and So they were like, here's my money. Like, let's make, let's make a bunch of money. And before they knew it, that money was gone. Mm, so, Yeah.
0: All right. So problem number one is being too motivated to get a deal that you're blinded by, you know, vetting somebody appropriately. What's next?
1: Yeah, just buying bad deals. Um, The next thing is, is definitely referrals, referrals, referrals. So you can't verify and vet somebody enough. I mean, that's one thing that I didn't do. I seen the deals like, you know, he showed me a few deals and I looked at them, but they were all kind of in the same stage, demoed out, nothing really done. But I didn't do research on those deals. I didn't. I didn't ask him for all the LLCs that he's holding deals under, and then go look them up and see how long has he owned them, what stage are they in. I could have easily looked up all the properties he owned, drove around the neighborhoods, and said, "Okay, this guy's owned this one for six months, six months, and it's still not done, and it's it's demoed. That's a warning sign." And uh, I didn't look for those warning signs, which which would have been the first thing that would have tipped me off that. Yeah, things, things aren't really going right here. You know, might want to do a little bit more digging on this guy and looking at his projects. All um,
0: right. All right. So here real fast, I, I have problem number two is not vetting well enough. And you talked about uh, bank statements. You talked about referrals. Um, but I, I, missed, I, I missed a thing or two. So what are the other two things that you can do to help vet somebody? You said go to their projects. What, uh, what Anything else?
1: Go to their projects, talk to their other partners. So if they're if they're partnered with other people, get those get those people's names. You know, if you look up his LLC and you see that this guy owns ten properties, twenty properties, who are you partnered with on these? Or look on look on title and see who who's the owner of them, um, and and who's lending on them, and then talk to those people. How's things going? What's what's going on with this? If he's not going if he's not willing to give those referrals and a bunch of them, if he has ten properties and he won't give you anybody that's a warning sign. That's a problem. If he won't tell you who the lender is, which you can look up on, on public record, uh, that's a problem. So talking to the lenders too, are the payments going through? Is he making payments on time? What do you know about this guy? Are projects getting done? How long has he been holding them? You know, those, those are all different vetting techniques.
0: I'll, I'll be honest. Um, the lenders don't always want to share a lot of info. But at the same time, I've gotten the most amount of information uh, from lenders. So, uh, you know, you, you ask, hey, who's lending on your projects? Who do you usually use? And that's one. this is a tricky uh, question. It's just, you, you can just ask it like as if you weren't grilling them. So you just say, yeah, who do you usually use for, for your lender? And then they'll name a name and like, do you, do you use anyone else? And then they'll name other names and you say, any private lenders, any other hard money lenders? And they might name some names, but you don't have to sound like you're giving them the top 20 or whatever. And um, what I found is I, I called on actually more than just this person. and I think you know some of the people as well, but I called on them and I, and I asked those questions and they said, don't do business with this person. And they're yeah. like, "That's all I can tell you. You don't want to put your money with this person." So, yeah. I've I've learned a lot from that. So, number two problem: not vetting properly, properly. And you can do that by getting referrals, go, getting bank statements, going to the projects yourself, talking with other past partners. I like that. Um, and I'll ask you a question about that here in a second, and then talk to other lenders, etc. Yeah. When yeah. when have you found out? Something about somebody by talking to past partners. Have have you had good success with that or not?
1: Definitely. Well, in this specific situation, it it was too late. I had already jumped in. I was already married to the guy. You know, with, with the deals, I guess you would say, right? Like I already had the partnership. I already had the money into the deals. They were already purchased before I started seeing some of those warning signs that I talked about. Once I started seeing those warning signs, I started researching who else has been dealing with this guy just from going to networking events and, and word of mouth on the street, um, just like you knew about him. Um, same thing. And I started talking to the guys, different guys that were, were doing deals with him and lenders and whatnot, and started getting the full picture. And that's when I knew it was a problem. Um, so just talking to people, you know, getting out there and knowing people in your community is huge. That's going to save a lot of hassle.
0: Some of the times that I found that I shouldn't partner with somebody, one of the times um, – there was a there was a smooth talker really good salesperson really talked to big game but i t- started talking to the person about sec laws on how he's raising money and i found that he was literally clueless about how any of that worked and i was like man by the way he was coming to my groups my real estate groups so i have some meetups and i was like i got to not let this person come to my meetups anymore because I have a yeah. really, really bad feeling about them because they they act like they know everything and then they're talking about like everything that I have is a 20 cap, a 30 cap. And, and by the way, that's probably a lot high, higher than you'll ever find to the listener. That's probably a lot higher than you'll ever find. If it sounds too good to be true, it might be too good to be true. It might not 100%. be true. Yeah, so anyway, I, I like backed out of that. And then the other red flag that I've seen for or at least for syndicators. So this is specific to those of you who are getting involved into passively lending your money to operators if the operator is announcing it on a podcast or announcing it on a in front of a group and they're telling you hey I um I Need to raise a certain amount of money, this is the project, this is the address, this is how much we 're buying it for, and they tell you all this information, and then they say this other thing and I can have up to thirty five unaccredited investors. well, you automatically know they 're breaking the SEC violations right now by telling you about a deal that before you have a substantial relationship so a, a good flag there, Kyle with with what you mentioned so far, you talked a little bit about, you know, getting too motivated, wanting to get that deal done and uh, not really vetting the project or the, or the person so fast or problem number two, not vetting them appropriately. What is, what's another thing, a problem that you could, that somebody might be able to go into if they don't listen to the podcast? How can we fix that?
1: Paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. I mean, get your paperwork in line, you know, have, have an attorney review everything, you know, don't just assume that whatever that guy's telling you or the documents are legit and just take his word for it, his or her. Look, you know, bring it to an attorney and have them review it and make sure that you're protected and you're safe, especially if you're putting money into the deal. You know, make sure that if something goes sideways, you have an out, you have an exit strategy. All
0: right, so what if the person who's listening right now says, yeah, but do I really need to spend an extra 300 bucks or whatever it costs for an attorney? Do I really need to spend that to make sure that my documents are lined up? What would you tell them?
1: I would say uh, potentially, I mean, you don't, I would say you don't have to if you have a mentor let's say you have a mentor that's been in, in the game for 20 years and they know how things should go, or you have somebody that you can, you can lean on. Then maybe you don't have to, but if you're just out there on your own little Island and you found somebody that you want to do deals with, it's probably wise to, to spend a couple hundred bucks. And you know, if you're putting 40 grand into a deal, what's another 500 bucks to protect yourself. You know? Perfect.
0: Perfect. Any other problems that uh, can arise?
1: Uh, I mean, there's a ton of problems that can arise, you know, it's, uh, what's the contractor they're using you know, do they have a legit source of, of, um, you know, for, for getting the work done? Uh, that, that's really big because contractors are, are tough to come by good ones. Um, and so who are they using? Do they have a plan in place? Do they have a scope of work? Um, you know, what, what is their plan of action to doing this deal? If it's, if it's, you know, one of those things that where it's like, Hey, don't worry about it. I got this under control. It's a red flag. No. Hey buddy, show me your plan. What is your plan? Do you have something on paper? Do you have a scope of work? Do you have a plan? What's the timelines? You know, what's the pay structure? How, how is this all going to go down and and when are we going to be done and what can we expect and make sure you're following those timelines. You know, if he says the, the uh, first draw is $10,000 and and during that first draw we're going to have, you know, demo done and we're going to have whatever else done. Make sure it's done and do not release any more money until that work is complete. And all right. And a lean labor then. <laughs> <After all. laughs> okay. a lot of then. Okay. So reality. we need
0: to talk about both things. But the first thing is this happened with this specific person and I know that other people are doing this. Okay, so all of a sudden they say they're ready for another draw. Yeah. And, and you've been told, you listen to this podcast, you've been told that you shouldn't do that. But all of a sudden, now they're saying, hey, I need another draw. And you relu- you're reluctant and you're like, I don't think I should. But they smooth talk you anyway and, and they talk you into it. I think that's happened a, yes. a large majority of the time. Um, yeah. And so let's just talk about sticking to your guns a little bit um, when they're asking for the draw. So share a little bit more of the problems that can happen when they're asking for the money and you're not wanting to give it, but a lot of people and would end up giving it up anyway.
1: Yeah, that, it's a tough situation to be in when you're a brand new investor and you don't really know how it, how it all goes down, but you have an idea and you have a gut feeling that maybe this isn't right. Um, but when somebody's pressuring you that's uh, a mentor or, or, you know, they have the, the stuff going, it's tough because they're like, hey, I need this money to continue. And then you look at the project and you're like, well, I gave you you know, 10 grand and the only thing that's done is a demo. And I know that didn't cost 10 grand. So what's the deal? Why do you need more money? And they're like, Hey, I just needed it. We need to move forward. You know, that's, that's another red flag. Up to you need to, you need to put the kibosh right there. Like, no, I'm not moving forward until we follow the scope of work and the scope of work is completed for phase one. Once we're completed for phase one, I'll release the money for phase two. But until then, I'm not going to do it. If that's a problem, I'm sorry. I'm going to fire the contractor and I'm going to get a new one and I'm going to control that. You know, it don't just don't cave. That's, That's really it.
0: My biggest takeaway isn't that you don't cave, but it's that you have a system in place ahead of time that really spells out this is how much will come out now and this is what's going to happen and this is how much and you just got to stick to it. It's like with yeah. um, rentals and and I I used to have um, a triplex and, you know, 10, 11 years ago, I had this triplex and, and I did what you did, Kyle, but I was worse at it than you. I had my friends move there and then they would say like, hey, I can pay you on Friday or I can pay you next on the first or I can... I can put all of it here. And I kept wanting to kick them out, but like my heart was like, okay, okay. If you say you're going to have it then, then let's, let's just do it then. And and I don't want to kick out a friend, but I guess really the big takeaway is you just, you just have to have it set up in place. You pay on the first, if not, this happens. And then if you, if you do anything, you follow the plan, you follow the scope of work, you follow the, the operating agreement to a letter, to the T. Um, is yep. that accurate? 100%. Yep. And I mean, you, mentioned, yeah. you mentioned something that I completely, um, I wanted to go back to it, but I didn't take a good note of what it was before we kind of uh, started diving into this. Do you recall what that was? There was something that you started to mention, and it was like, oh, we got to get back to that.
1: Um, paperwork? Was it paperwork? or?
0: It, I think it was within the, the paperwork. What other yeah, paperwork I mean, are, is there that you have to have?
1: The operating agreement's important. I mean, that's, that spells out the JV relationship. You know, how, how does this partnership work? And then the scope of work's very important. Uh, and then the other thing I mentioned was lien waivers. You know, after the first phase is done and you've paid that money. That's, what it, waiver, that's what it was. Get a lien waiver. Yeah, so they can't say, oh, he never, you know, it, this wasn't agreed on. It's, if it's all spelled out and you got the lien waiver and everything's, and all your paperwork lines up, the contractor can't say anything really and come after you. I mean, they can, but as long as you have the paperwork to back you up, you should be fine and good to go.
0: So tell us more about lien waivers. What are they? How are they used? Who uses them? Who signs them? And um and what if they don't want to sign it? Then what happens?
1: It's not your guy. That's <laughs> not your guy. I mean, if they don't want to sign it, that's that's an issue. Um because it should be agreed upon up front, you know. You could spell it out to the contractor, "Hey, Here's the scope of work. They're going to sign and agree to the scope of work. And you're going to tell them up front, once we get to this phase, you will get paid and we're going to sign a lien waiver. And at that point, you're releasing me from any liability that you didn't get paid on phase one. And then we're going to go into phase two. When the phase two is done and I give you the payment for that, we're going to sign another one. I think just the communication is so important. If you communicate exactly how it's going to go and you stick to to the plan, the contractor should have no reason to say, I'm not going to sign that because they already agreed ahead of time. That they're going to sign it, you know, and if uh, you have one that's yeah. not willing to, you, you, you got the wrong guy.
0: All right. So, the way you say that you're going to use the lean waivers is you're going to have them prepared ahead of time. There's going to be a few of them and they're going to all be based on the phases. So, what I've done in the past is I've had one lean waiver, uh, sometimes two, but I've had usually one lean waiver and it was like, hey, the project's done. I'm about to pay you and uh, before I pay you, you have to sign off on it or else I'm not going to give you the check. But yep. what you're saying is, is even better than what I've done in the past where you, where you say, all right, phase one, it, um, phase one, I'm signing off that it's done and you're signing off that you can't have a lien against my property before yep. I give you the first check. And then you do another one for the second phase and you do another one for a third phase. How many phases are there normally in your projects?
1: Generally three or four. Okay, three, three or four. Usually, usually three is more more likely, but it depends on how big it is. Um, but that's that's typically what we see.
0: Awesome, yeah. I'm getting a lot of value out of this, and I hope uh, those on Facebook give us all the likes and loves, give us the hearts and the thumbs up. If if you're getting value out of this, uh, you know, put hashtag value. Let us, let us know, um, that we should keep doing episodes just like this. All right, Kyle, any other things that you can think of that you could have done better to protect yourself before getting into certain partnerships?
1: Uh, You know, I think it's just the upfront due diligence, not rushing, being patient, you know, uh, patience is so important. Like you, we all want it now. We all want to be the biggest right now and the best and, and, have a million dollars and do a bunch of deals but you got to kind of you don't just jump in out of bed you know from having no experience to being that guy and it takes time and um, I would say just be patient educate yourself understand these concepts uh, before you start doing fix and flips or or anything that involves a lot of money that's on the line of your hard-earned money make sure you're educated or you have somebody on your side that's educated and um, they can kind of walk you through the process and, and, you know, make sure that you don't make the same mistakes that I did by just jumping into it.
0: Is there a certain amount of money? So like you've lent on some projects before. Is there a certain level that you're willing to go to and that will could protect yourself if something went wrong? Is there you only go to 70%, 80%, 90% or is there something like that that might be helpful for us?
1: I think it depends on the deal. That's deal by deal basis. Um, you know, when, when lending you always want to have a note and a deed of trust that spells out the terms, um, the, the rate, the terms, the timeline, uh, same deal, same as doing the, the flips except lending money. Uh, but you want to make sure the project's good too. If, if it goes sour, do you want to own that deal? I think that's a question that you need to ask yourself. If you, if I'm lending money to somebody for a deal and I got to take it back and foreclose on them, do I want to own that deal at the money that I got in? Is it worth it or am I going to still lose? I don't want to be in a position where I'm going to potentially lose money if I have to take it back. I want to be, I want to have the upper hand. And so, you know, 70% is probably a good rule of thumb where if you do have to take it back, you're still, still come out ahead.
0: I I love that. And, um, you know, that's extremely wise advice that a lot of people don't think of. They Want to make the return when they're doing the deal? They're really looking at dollar signs, and this is where some people go wrong: is when you're only looking at okay. Well, I'm I'm going to put in fifty grand, and I'm going to make a um, thousand a month, and you calculate it, and you say, "Dang, that sounds really good. I'm going to do it," but you don't realize that perhaps the deal was only worth thirty grand in the first place, and if the person who who took your money isn 't going to follow through with a, a proven track record and business plan all of a sudden you own something you have to foreclose on it. It costs you fifteen thousand just to foreclose now you 're in at sixty five thousand and by the way, they tore up the kitchen that wasn 't too bad, so now you have to put then an extra five thousand so you 're in it at seventy thousand for something that 's like worth thirty grand or whatever. But you didn't know that because you didn't do what Kyle just said. Make sure that you understand if you have to foreclose that you are happy with the amount that you have into the project if that happens. That is brilliant and very, very helpful. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. All right. So we're going to move into the final five. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by both you and brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have uh, been listening to the show for a little while, you love the show, and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review, I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind Uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, So that's our only ask. Let's get back to the show. Kyle Donnie, what is the most creative deal you've ever done?
1: So I I don't know if I have one particular creative deal, but I would say that we, uh, Josh and I, do a good job of making nothing into something. The normal deals that another investor would say, eh, I, I can't do anything with, we make deals out of. And so, you know, there's been deals where we do, you know, they're 90% deals, but we can do a subject two on it. Um, there's deals where we'll buy it off a seller and, and sell it back to them down the road. And we have all kinds of creative deals like that where we work with the sellers to make sure it's a win-win situation. We'll let them stay in the house for a month after we buy it if they need to or, you know, just to get the, to get the deal done. But I think I like help, helping, helping people and figuring out a solution and being creative is, is the way to be. And I, I got a bunch of those different types.
0: Yeah. So if you're listening and you're wanting to get into real estate investing um, and you want to you know, do more deals than other people are doing, you really have to do what Kyle's doing. And that is to think outside the box. And some people are like, I was told that I always have to go 70% you know, minus rehab but Kyle just told you that sometimes he buys 90% deals because he's finding a solution it's a win-win and he's doing a subject too he's still making money and so if you're also willing to think outside the box it's what this whole podcast is about you'll be able to have the kind of success that Kyle's been having and he's doing 3 to 6 transactions a month on average he's he's doing almost 6 transactions on the buy side and sell side every single month so He's someone to listen to. Absolutely. Where? What's a book that you recommend? Uh,
1: I'm I'm reading a book now that I'm I'm almost uh, finished with. It's the uh, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Um, that one's really really good. Uh, I haven't finished it, but I'm almost there, and I can I can say it's it's been an excellent read.
0: All right. And where were you five years ago? And where will you be five years from today? It's a double question.
1: Yeah, uh, five years ago I was I was making some of the mistakes that we we talked about and uh, just getting into real estate and and learning everything the hard way. Um, five years from now, I uh, hope to keep growing the business, uh, kind of take more of a passive seat. Um, you know, I still want to flip. I love flipping. It's great, um, but you know, maybe some more passive investments, some stuff like you're doing, Adam, and um, maybe some lending, more lending, and getting that, those passive paychecks coming in.
0: I love it. How do you give back?
1: Uh, I, I'm I'm big on uh, talking with new people, and and if somebody reaches out to me, I make sure to to make a point to get back to them and not ignore them. Um, you know, I can't be someone's personal mentor all the time, but if someone reaches out and they ask me a question, you know, I get back to them, or I'll have a twenty minute phone conversation and and uh, help them out.
0: Love it. Now I have to warn you. Most of my guests give me five or six ways. I need one and the best way. How do people find you? How do they get a hold of you?
1: Right on Facebook, probably. Just just uh, add me on Facebook. It's Love the it. Best way.
0: And it's spelled K-Y-L-E-D-O-N-E-Y. Is that right? That's right. There's probably not a lot of Kyle Donnies. No. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, thank you for coming on. Uh, you sharing the ins and outs of like what you've learned over the past um, couple of years, few years of getting into bed or getting into partnerships with other people, some of them successful and some of them absolute not successful and a struggle. I I, I learned a ton and I think everybody who was on learned a ton. So I appreciate you coming on. And until next, thank you, brother. All right. Until next time, think outside the box.